Uh, before we open a word of prayer, I'm going to do something different. I'd like each of you to uh, turn in your Bibles or your apps or whatever you've got to Psalm 23. Lord is my shepherd. This is probably one of the most beloved uh, portions of Scripture. It's recited by many. Many of you know it by heart. So I want to recite it together by heart. Because the Lord is our shepherd. (laughs) And we want for nothing. Our cup overflows. Goodness and kindness will follow us all the days of our life because the Lord is our shepherd. So let's uh, recite together, shall we? The Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. He makes me lie down in green pastures. He leads me besides quiet waters. He restores my soul. He guides me in the paths of righteousness for his name's sake. Even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I fear no evil, for you are with me. Your rod and your staff, they comfort me. You prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies. You have anointed my head with oil. My cup overflows. Surely goodness and kindness will follow me all the days of my life, and I will dwell in the house of the Lord forever. Let's pray. Lord, we thank you that we can declare like David, the Lord is my shepherd. And in you, we have all that we need. We shall not want. And our cup overflows with joy and goodness. So thank you, Lord, for that. Thank you for the service today, the time of worship that we've already had. And we pray that uh, you will bring forth your word this morning with power and by your spirit. In Jesus' name, amen. If a... uh, Seeking person on a journey to discover the divine came across a fragment of scripture consisting only of the 23rd Psalm, he would no doubt come to revelation that this divine being, the one whom we call God, is like a shepherd. He's like a shepherd. And... uh, All those who follow the shepherd want for nothing. They're fed, they're watered, they're protected, they're led, they're cared for. And as a result, and as a result, they want for nothing. And their cup overflows. And he would also, no doubt, come to realize that uh, he himself was like a sheep in need of a shepherd. In today's world, uh, we know little about sheep. None of us, or a few of us, know what it's really like to, uh, or what faces a shepherd on a day-to-day basis as he tends his flock. But when David uh, wrote this psalm, wrote Psalm 23, his audience knew sheep. And therefore, his words had a much richer impact and a much deeper meaning 
to them than it does for us. So I want to change that today. Today we're going to learn a little about sheep. And we're going to learn a little about shepherds. And I think uh, you'll understand why when we read our scripture passage for this morning. So if you'll turn to 1 Peter chapter 5. Well, we're going to read verses 1 through 5. Therefore, I exhort the elders among you, as your fellow elder and witness of the sufferings of Christ, and a partaker also of the glory that is to be revealed, shepherd the flock of God among you, exercising oversight, not under compulsion, but voluntarily, according to the will of God, and not for sword gain, but with eagerness, nor yet as lording and over those allotted to your charge, but providing, proving to be examples to the flock. And when the chief shepherd appears, you will receive the unfading crown of glory. You younger men, likewise, be subject to your elders. And all of you clothe yourselves with humility toward one another, for God is opposed to the proud, but gives grace to the humble. Notice what uh, Peter says here. In one simple phrase, he lays out the primary function, really the only function of an elder. In one simple phrase, he sums up the, both the heart and the duty of an elder. Shepherd the flock of God. Now before we break that down, I want, to, I want us to reflect a moment on the church itself. The church was established by Christ to be his voice, his hands, his feet, his representative on earth. The church was his creation. It was his plan. In Matthew 28 and uh, in Acts chapter 1, he lays out the chief purpose of the church. To proclaim to the world the gospel of salvation through Jesus Christ. To proclaim to the world the gospel of salvation through Jesus Christ. So reaching the lost for Christ is the purpose that drives everything the church does. And creating the church, Christ did not leave it without design. A design that would best accomplish his purpose. So in the beginning, he made it very clear that it's his church. It was never meant to be our church, but his alone. Consequently, we have no authority, no privilege to design it to conform to our wants and desires. And we have no authority or privilege to fashion it according to the current norms of society. His design puts him at the head. And we're all accountable to him to do church his way. He is a chief shepherd, and it is he who leads us. So, how did Christ design his church? Well, it's clear from reading scripture that he does not design it to be a loosey goosey type of organization that had no structure or leadership. 
Instead, he gave us the Holy Spirit, and he gave each of us gifts to build up the church body. And he ordained some as leaders to assure that the church stayed on course. Assuring that the course stayed true to its purpose. And these leaders were to care for the flock committed to them. They were from the very beginning called elders. And that's important for us to understand. We have elders by Christ's design, not by our own. We have elders because the biblical mandate and model is to have elders. The Apostle Paul started churches wherever he went. And each of those churches were led by a group of men who were committed to serving, shepherding, and overseeing the congregation. Elders. So what does this shepherding or elder shepherding look like? What are the responsibilities of a shepherd? So let's go back to Psalm 23 for the answers. In verse 2, we learn it is the shepherds who feed and water the flock. Why? Because sheep have a very little sense of direction and very little ability to forage out on their own to find green pastures. They've been literally, uh, known literally to eat the dirt of a worn-out pasture rather than go out and seek new ground. Likewise, they have no ability to uh, find water on their own. And they need clean, pure, and slow-moving water. Still water, quiet water, as David described it. So on their own, sheep are practically incapable, totally incapable, really, of finding anything to nourish their bodies. They are helpless and in need of someone to lead them to their food, lead them to their water. And that's where the shepherd comes in. He leads them and guides them to the green pastures and quiet waters. The lack of a shepherd means certain death to the sheep. We also see in Psalm 23 that the sheep need protection. Even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I fear no evil, for thou art with me. Sheep have absolutely no defense mechanism. They can't really bite. They can't really kick. They can't really claw. Uh, They're just sitting ducks for any predator. And when a predator comes, they have this tendency to huddle together and sit there and stand there and wait to be devoured, almost oblivious (laughs) to what's going on around them. So they're easy prey without a shepherd. They're easy prey to any predator that's lurking nearby. Sheep are uh, also defenseless against disease. They have absolutely no capacity to clean themselves. Their wool gathers all sorts of filth. They're subject to foot rot, and especially subject to flies and parasites. These uh, torment them, (laughs) make them restless, and also makes them ill sometimes leading to death. So the shepherd must constantly be vigilant to make sure that his sheep are healthy. That's what, uh, and why David says, and what he means when he says, you have anointed my head with oil. 
Oil was commonly used to ward off the flies and the parasites. Sheep are also fragile in build and are easily prone to injury. If they lose their balance, for instance, they can easily break a leg. And if upended on their backs, they have little ability to turn themselves back up onto their feet. They just sit there or lie there with their feet up in the air and die. Unless the shepherd gets there in time to turn them back over. They're easily agitated and frightened. They get nervous, but they find comfort in the presence of their shepherd. Thy rod and thy staff, they comfort me. Even the mere voice of their shepherd brings a calmness to the sheep. So understanding a little bit about sheep brings a whole new level of meaning to David's proclamation that the Lord is my shepherd. We are totally helpless without a shepherd. We need constant care and attention. We're not equipped to do it on our own. And we are lost without the guiding hand of Christ. He leads us in the right path. He protects us from our enemies. He alone calms our hearts and soothes our anxiousness. No one can take his place. No one. And yet... In his wisdom, in his designs, he has assigned men the duty to shepherd his sheep in his absence, to follow his example of care and concern for his people until he returns. So how does all this translate into the duties of an elder? In Ezekiel 34, God condemns the shepherds of Israel for not doing their job. What was their job? Well, he tells us very clearly. To feed the flock, to protect the flock, to guide the flock, and to care for the flock. And in all the years since Ezekiel was written, God has not changed the job description. He requires the same care of the elders, from the elders of his church as he did from the elders of Israel. Four things. So let's look at shepherding from God's perspective in God's church, shall we? As with real sheep, everything in the church depends on the proper feeding and watering of the flock. The green pastures and the quiet waters of the church are found in the word of God. It's a word that nourishes the sheep. Without the word, the sheep die. In a dramatic moment, if you'll remember, after his resurrection... Jesus confronted uh, Peter. And three times he asked the disciples, Simon, son of John, do you love me? And each time Peter responded, yes, Lord, you know that I love you. And after each response, Jesus commanded Peter to do what? Feed and tend his sheep. So from the very beginning, a major emphasis of the church was on the teaching of the word. In Acts, we're told that the apostles devoted themselves to the ministry of teaching, the ministry of the word, and that those in church devoted themselves to the teaching of the apostles. 
Paul was brought to Antioch by Barnabas to teach. Later, Paul exhorted Timothy to focus on the teaching of the word. Why the emphasis on teaching? Without sound biblical teaching, the church tends to wander like sheep. It'll begin to lo- they'll begin, it'll begin to lose its power and distinctiveness. It will begin to accept error as doctrinal truth. It will begin to, uh, it'll begin to die as a force, a spiritual force for Christ. It will literally starve to death. And we see this all around us today. Mainline churches have stopped feeding on truth. As a result, they're dead and no longer an effective force for Christ. Have you ever considered why we have the word Bible in the name of our church? Because it's in the Bible where we find our directions for life. It's in the Bible that we find nourishment for our souls. It's in the Bible we find the living word of God. It's a lamp to our feet and a light to our path. That's why it's in our name. And that's why it's preached from the pulpit. That's why it's taught in our classrooms and homes. That's why you're encouraged to be in the Word, to read it, to pray over it, to meditate upon it. And that's why the elders pour over it. So the course of the church will be God's course, not ours. Not based upon the wisdom of man, but upon the wisdom of God. That's why the elders are so adamant that the word of God is proclaimed. We need it. Like food and water, we cannot survive without it. Now, feeding the flocks is certainly necessary to the flock's survival, but it means nothing. It means nothing that the sheep are not also protected. Guarding the sheep is indispensable to its survival. And it's also then an essential task of the shepherd to provide that protection. There are many predators out there who would love to eat sheep. And were not for the watchful eye of the shepherd, they would have little problem in devouring the sheep. Remember what David said uh, when Saul, before he fought, to Saul before he fought Goliath? He said, your servant was tending his father's sheep. When a lion and bear came and took a lamb from the flock, I went out after him and attacked him and rescued it from his mouth. And when he rose up against me, I seized him by the beard and struck him and killed him. Your servant has killed both the lion and the bear. And now it might be easy for us to think that the, as a church body, we don't face the same kind of dangers as real sheep, but we do. We too face the lion and the bear. We too face predators who are intent on destroying and scattering the sheep. Who are these predators? Any human influence whose intent is to bring harm to the church. False teachers who bring discord, dissent, disunity by sowing a word contrary to the Bible and by leading by the flesh rather than by the Spirit. This was true in the early church, 
and it's equally true today. In his last words to the elders of Ephesus, Paul warned of, quote, savage wolves who will come among you. Not sparing the flock, speaking distorted truths in order to draw away those among you. Likewise, Peter warns in his second epistle about false teachers who will secretly introduce destructive heresies, who will exploit you with false words, who will entice unstable souls. Now, why were Peter and Paul so emphatic in these warnings? Because the counterfeit teachers had already infiltrated the early churches and were spreading false doctrine. And many of the epistles were written to deal with those falsehoods. So Paul exhorted the elders to be on the alert for those who teach a doctrine contrary to the gospel of Jesus Christ. Listen to what he says to the Roman believers. Now I urge you, brethren, keep your eye on those who cause dissensions and hindrances contrary to the teaching which you learned, and turn away from them, men who by their flattering speech deceive the hearts of the unsuspecting. No Paul's emphasis on those who cause dissensions and hindrances, those who cause strife and discord. They too act contrary to the gospel and are destructive to the health of the sheep. The elders of IBC take that exhortation seriously. We always have our ears open. And over the years, we've had to confront people who are advocating a different gospel. We are constantly watchful for those who promote strife and disunity, for those who publicly flaunt sin within the body, and for those who cause the flock to scatter. As Paul wrote to Titus, reprove them seriously so that they may be sound in the faith. Silence those who are upsetting the sheep by teaching things contrary to the word. Now, another responsibility of the shepherd is to lead the flock. He leads me besides quiet waters. He guides me in the paths of righteousness. So leading the flock is important. In fact, it's absolutely essential. Sheep need someone to follow. They are not independent travelers. They will lose direction without a guide to show them where to go and to lead them. In today's passage, Peter connects the word shepherding with the word oversight. The elder must give oversight. He must know how and where to lead the flock. What does that mean in practical terms and practical application? An overseer sets goals. He makes decisions. He gives directions. He's a planner, a problem solver, a motivator. He leads the sheep with the objective of leading them to what is in their best welfare because he loves them and he cares for them. He seeks the will of God and he follows in that direction. This is a daunting task. 
And we as elders take it seriously. We don't take it lightly. And we've learned over the years that prayer is absolutely essential. God responds to prayer. We've learned that that a decision made in haste because of the pressures of the moment often lead to crooked and wrong paths. A decision based upon human reasoning rather upon the Spirit's guiding. We do not want a decision to be our decision, but God's decision. We don't always get it right, but let me assure you, It's not from a lack of seeking or lack of searching. And we've learned to trust. Trust that the Lord will guide even when the path before us is unclear. Even when we make mistakes. Even when some of the sheep refuse to follow. Sometimes we just need to wait. Get out of the way and follow. Now, besides the primary duties of feeding, protecting, and guiding, a shepherd also bears the uh, responsibility of the more practical daily care of the sheep. Sheep are subject to disease and infestation. They are fragile and often the victims of injury. They are easily agitated and frightened and confused. So the shepherd must be diligent and attentive to the needs of his flock. In Ezekiel 34.4, God chastises the shepherds of Israel for their neglect of these needs. Those who are sickly, you have not strengthened. The diseased, you have not healed. The broken, you have not bound up. The scattered, you have not brought back. Nor have you sought the lost. The common people of Nepal have, for generations, been shepherds. And David and Nancy Waters uh, had the privilege of living with the Kham people for many years, and they were deeply impressed with the care they provided for their sheep. One Kham proverb says, a shepherd sleeps with his ear turned toward the sheep. And David saw this proverb literally lived out in his presence. Listen to his recounting an event that occurred one summer night high in the Himalayas. I was in sheep camp one July in the area known as the Seven Wildernesses. Though the calendar, calendar said it was summer, it didn't feel like it, at least not while the cold rain was coming down. At these altitudes, even in the summer, the temperature under the clouds hovered just a few degrees above freezing, and the rain was always mixed with sleet and snow. The herd which combined two smaller flocks, had about 300 sheep in it. The sheep were in a skittish mood that night and frequently spooked, rushing off into the darkness and driving rain. The owners got up repeatedly, first one, then the other, wrapping themselves in wool blankets and braving the miserable cold. Finally, when nothing else could be done, both shepherds went out and settled down among the sheep singing lullabies, and making reassuring sounds. By morning, they were nearly dead of hypothermia. Selfless 
devotion to the sheep was how David described it. They knew their sheep. They cared for their sheep. They sacrificed for their sheep. They almost died for their sheep. One interesting observation that David made of the calm shepherds was their personal and intimate knowledge of each and every one of their sheep. He tells of how in the summer months, the shepherds would combine their flocks together when they traveled. This made the sheep easier to manage as they sought the the richer pastures of the highlands. And when the summer travel was over, they would then divide the sheep back. And it was this separation process that really impressed David. He was impressed because none of the sheep were marked. None of the sheep were branded. To the casual observer, they were just sheep. But not so to the shepherds. Each shepherd was so intimately acquainted with his own sheep that he could easily pick out his own from among the crowd. And there was rarely any dispute. Jesus is called the great shepherd. He is our model. And he himself said, I know my sheep. I want you all to understand that the elders of IBC consider that to be a top priority. We want to know each one of you. But it's a daunting task, especially in a church as large as IBC. Even to personally know all of you seems overwhelming to us. But it's nevertheless fundamental and necessary to the health of the church. Because if we don't know you, how can we minister to your needs? And if you don't know us, how will your needs be made known? So pray for us. Pray that we will increasingly know and care for all those coming to IBC. So in summary, Peter exhorts the elders to shepherd, to feed, to protect, to guide, and to care for the congregation. But he goes deeper than just a duty. He also addresses the heart of the shepherd. One overwhelming thing we've learned here today is that a shepherd loves his sheep. A love so strong that a good shepherd will give his life in protecting his sheep. Jesus said that, and Dave read this earlier, I'm the good shepherd, and I lay down my life for the sheep. Not like the hireling who sees a wolf coming and leaves the sheep and flees because he is a hired hand and is not concerned about the sheep. So Jesus made a clear distinction between the owner who says, my sheep, and to the hired hand who says, his sheep. One shepherds because he cares. The other shepherds because he has to, because it's his job. In our passage, Peter tells us three things. 
three things that reflect the loving heart of the Good Shepherd, and three things that are manifest in a poor shepherd. And he gives them each by tandem. He first tells us that a poor shepherd performs his job grudgingly, under compulsion. He's not there because he wants to be. He's there because of the pressures of making a living have forced him there. And if he had his choice, he'd rather be somewhere else. Now contrast that to the good shepherd. He's there willingly and voluntarily because that's his calling. That's what he desires to do. Look what Peter says. An elder is to serve according to the will of God. He serves because that's where God wants him. And he submits to that willingly and voluntarily. Can you imagine what it would be like to have an elder who begrudged the fact that he was an elder, didn't want to be one? What kind of care would he provide to the body? That's why the first questions we ask of any candidate who desires to be an elder, several questions. Do you really want the job? Has God moved in your heart? Is God leading? Are you willing? Peter also tells tells us that a poor shepherd serves for sordid gain. In other words, he serves for his own self-gratification and not for the welfare of the sheep. And self-gratification comes in many forms. A quest for recognition, a pursuit of status, massage of ego, search for power, whatever it may be, he's serving self. Not a proper reason to become an elder. And that's why Peter warns us that eldership is not about self but about serving others. It's about serving the congregation. It's about a heart that's eager to serve. He says, shepherd the flock with eagerness. In other words, do it with zeal and passion, not with self in mind. Finally, Peter warns us that the heart of the elder must reflect humility. Don't lord it over those allotted to your charge. In other words, do not act with pride or superiority. Do not look down upon the bodies as somehow you were favored by God. Instead, he says, but be examples. Be examples to the flock. Examples of what? Of Christ. Of men seeking to be Christ-like in their behavior. Men of humility, men of forgiveness, men of love. Men growing in their devotion and zeal for God. And Peter knew Peter knew that people will follow such men as these. In summary, let me say this. The elders of the IBC want to be good shepherds. We desire to please our Lord Jesus Christ, who has granted us a stewardship responsibility of caring for his children until his return. For we will indeed one day give an account just like the shepherds of Israel. Did we shepherd the sheep with love and concern, or did we not? Did we emulate Christ in our care for his people? 
or did we not? There's a story of a shepherd who was asked the question, what, what's the difference between a good shepherd and a poor one? He thought for a moment, then gave this response. The difference lies in the heart. A poor shepherd is one who has no heart for the sheep. They mean nothing more to him than an opportunity to get paid. The good shepherd, on the other hand, tends his sheep because he loves them. What makes a good shepherd isn't the staff or rod. It's the heart. So what does he mean when he says it's the heart? Well, I think the best way to see it is, the best way to explain it is to see it. And Philip Keller uh, wrote a book called The Shepherd Looks, A Shepherd Looks at the Psalm 23. And he gives a real life glimpse of what it means to be a shepherd. And uh, he describes a shepherd who lived adjacent to his property. Let me read what he said. The tenant sheep man on the farm next to my first ranch was the most indifferent manager I've ever met. He was not concerned about the condition of the sheep. His land was neglected. He gave little or no time to his flock, letting them pretty well forage for themselves the best they could, both summer and winter. They fell prey to dogs, cougars, and rustlers. Every year, these poor creatures were forced to gnaw away at bare brown fields and impoverished pastures. Every winter, there was a shortage of nourishing hay and wholesome grain to feed the hungry ewes. Shelter to safeguard and protect the suffering sheep from storms and blizzards were scanty and inadequate. They only had polluted, muddy water to drink. In a thin, weak, and diseased condition, these poor sheep were a pathetic sight. To all their distress, the heartless, selfish owner seemed utterly callous and indifferent. He simply didn't care. Why should he? They were just sheep. God forbid. God forbid if the elders at IBC should ever shepherd in such a manner. Our fervent prayers are we shepherd well. So let me finish with another excerpt from Keller's book where, where he describes what it means to shepherd well. The good shepherd delights in his flock. For him, there is no greater reward, no deeper satisfaction than that of seeing his sheep contented, well-fed, safe, and flourishing under his care. This is indeed his very life. He gives all that he has to it. He literally lays himself out for those who are his. May this always be the case at IBC. Uh, Lord, uh, we just thank you that uh, your word is powerful. And you teach us, and you instruct us, and we gain life from your word. So we pray today that uh, your word indeed will go out in power. And uh, today we'll worship you and praise you and honor you for being the great shepherd you are to us. In Jesus' name, 
Amen.